Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. That team sure did suck last night. They just plain sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Steve Rosenblum. There was a keg stand I lost to an 81-year-old lady. She got off the <laughs> dance floor, and then, and, but I was, it was really close. Mark Grody. I've been waiting to get a hold of this guy for years. Yeah, like they're, like Channel 2 News is out there interviewing people. Yeah, I've been talking to my wife about getting Steve. He wants connected my dots and more to my plate. I'm going to dunk his ass. They suck, so you don't have to. Can't you morons do anything right? Founding members of the WB Club. Smoke weed every day. The three words that describe this show, and I quote. Stink, stank, stunk. It's Saturday Suckage on the score. We should be 670 WSUK. And I, I apologize. What is your name? I don't know who you are, the host. Welcome in. Bill 1101, Steve Rosenblum here. Saturday suckage. Let's find out. Who else is here? Grubber. It sucks and it freebases. Don Cooper. If I think something sucks, I'll tell you it sucks. Jake Arietta. This sucks. Really, it does. Albert Almora. Damn, Willie, man. Like, do we suck? Eloy Jimenez. Hey, you guys not going to make anyway. You guys are suck. When when I got traded the next day, oh, welcome to the sock team, Toby. Oh my God, this sucks. Random Bears fan. Turbo finally made a list of somebody who thinks he sucks besides I do. Liam Hendricks. I wouldn't say seeking perfection. It's just mainly trying not to suck. Julie Swika. Man, that sucks. And this musical interlude from Avenue Q. It sucks to be me. It sucks to be me. It sucks to be broken, unemployed, and turning 33. Wilson Contreras. Losing losing suck. I'll tell you that, and and that's all I can say. George Wentz. We had fun, uh, but there you go. I sucked. Garth Algar. Get it off, man! Get it off! It's sucking my will to live! 
Steve Dahl. Disco sucks. Disco sucks. Candace Parker. Um, I mean, it sucks. Roquan Smith. Yeah, man. Sucks. Zach Levine. It sucks to have it happen game one. DeMar DeRozan. You know, it just sucks. Mike Tomlin. It all sucks. It's not degrees of suck. Um, it all sucks. Josh Allen. Sucks. Losing sucks. Sucks. Robbie Triano. Hello. Hello, Chicago. I suck, too. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, you didn't. Um, and there's a wonderful reason why coming up later on. Welcome to Saturday Suckage. I suck so you don't have to. Our broadcasting motto, it's done as a just an act to better humanity. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealer. Phone number here at the Score, 312-644-6767. That'll get you to our listener line, powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. That number, 312-644-6767, also gets you to our text line, where 773-TEXTER timed it out so he texted before the show started and precisely wrote 420 before Stevie Sunshine. You bet this bong is being ripped. Well, we do have some wake and bake news. We will have some exciting cultural zeitgeist news. The first hour today, though, I should explain the our clock. For those of you who speak broadcast, our clock is going to be a bit jangled. We'll return to factory settings in the second and third hour. I'll be joined by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. SB stands for Sorry Bulls. Ricky will be here to talk about bulls at noon. At 1225, Hub will make his regular visit. Hub Arkish, our senior NFL analyst. At 1 o'clock, Chicago-born author Gary Cernoff will be here. Now, he's written a new baseball book that intrigued me and it prompted some unexpected baseball memories. But that's not the reason you called. The reason we changed the first hour is that we're going to get a call from Bob Costas. Bob Costas, for those of you who speak SNL. Bob Costas, the announcer for generations, will be here to talk about an MLB network show that Cub fans cannot miss. Cub fans will love it. Costas will be here at 11.30. For now, some things to know. News today, this from Dan Weederer of the Tribune and The Score and the Take the North podcast and anything else you want to hire him for. He does birthday parties and bar mitzvahs. He's also on these with David Haw on the Take the North podcast, who's on the Molly and Haw show because his name's on it. You better show up for that. And then Inside Baseball, he just got done being exasperated with Bruce Levine right here on The Score. Anyways. Chicago Bears great Steve McMichael is expected to be released from a suburban hospital in the coming days after being admitted to the intensive care unit Thursday evening with a urinary tract infection. His family issued that statement. 66-year-old McMichael underwent a procedure to remove fluid from his lungs during the current hospitalization, the family said Friday. So look, whether you believe it or not, your prayers and the doctors worked. Don't. Dismiss one with you. Don't. It's not one or the other. They work together. From a couple days ago, the Bears released two of their longest tenured players: guard Cody Lineman, Cody Whitehair, a center who couldn't center the ball, and Eddie Jackson, 
a safety who is either not healthy or not consistent enough. Either way, you want to look at it, too much money, bye-bye. One way to look at these cuts is, and, and while these guys were central, Cody White here was a great bear. Eddie Jackson was a terrific, more like a supernova. But there's a ton of salary cap room. Look at it this way. You make the, the team better in other ways so that Caleb Williams doesn't land in the worst possible spot. I'm not saying center and safety aren't important. They are, but there may be other players who are just as good and come cheaper, or there's certainly other spots you can plop down money in to make the offense better in an offensive league. And that's the draft prism we look through with everything because the Bears are on the clock. Did you hear? Robbie, did you hear? Bears are on the clock. We're on the clock? Yeah, Bears are on the clock. That's cool. Uh, other news and no pitiable bulls have nobody going near any part of the all-star weekend for the first time since 1980. I think they're so pitiable. They can't even watch it on TV. You get nothing. You get nothing and like it. And they're doing this on the weekend of Michael Jordan's birthday. Today is Michael Jordan's birthday. And the bulls are not having anything to do with all-star weekend author's message. The Bulls play again Tuesday night at home against the Celtics, the top team in the East. The Bulls suck against good teams, even if Arturis Karnishevis doesn't know it and is flat wrong about that. Chuck's pregame show is 645 on the score. And you know what that means? The Bears are on the clock. The Hawks host the Senators this afternoon at the United Center. It's a matinee. Connor Bedard is back. Blackhawks might get a goal. You know what that would mean? The Bears are on the clock. Goalie goal. Goalie goal. We do this every time we find out about it. Only this time is close to home. Hawks minor league goalie Jackson Stauber scored an empty net goal for the Rockford Ice Hogs last night and then completed his shutout. Look at that. Goalie goal and a shutout. Such a magnificent accomplishment can mean only one thing, Robbie. What do you think it is? Are the Bears on the clock? Bears are on the clock, in case you haven't heard. Cubs and White Sox open the exhibition season next Friday. It's just, like, happening so quick. They'll face each other in Mesa. And when these two teams get together, you know what that means. Right, Robbie? A.J. Prinsinski, he's getting punched in the face? Yeah, that would be it. All right, there's, there's much more to say about the White Sox and all of their financial shenanigans, and they all you have to know is this. When you hear that the billionaire wants a billion dollars to build a stadium he doesn't need, and that news is released to Crane Chicago Business where a source is quoted liberally, a source, and I don't doubt that it's a source, but when the White Sox, no, you know what, let's change the name. When the Chicago Welfare Sox do it on a Friday afternoon, It's a news dump, and they're embarrassed. But here's how much they know they're embarrassed. They did it on a long weekend, a holiday weekend Friday, asking the Chicago Welfare Sox are asking for a billion dollars in tax shenanigans and whatever else is going on. All right. I want to stop now. I want to make sure that we clear the log Again, for people who understand the clock, we're going to clear the log. If you speak, if you speak radio, I want to make sure we have 
a lot of time for Costas. Bob Costas will be here at 11.30. So when I come back, at the risk at the risk of stealing Matt Spiegel's title as Scores Baseball Romanticist, I'm going to romance baseball from my youth. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. It's Saturday Suckage on 670, The Score in Odyssey Station. Welcome and welcome back. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage. Spring training is underway across baseball. For the latest news on the Cubs or White Sox, try listening to chapters from our show. Each topic we cover is broken out so that you can find what matters to you most. To get started, download the Odyssey app, then search for 670 The Score and tap on a recent episode of this show. At the risk of stealing Matt Spiegel's title, baseball romanticist. See, a lot of people romance baseball in February. They'll say the four greatest words are pitchers and catchers report. Sorry, wrong, no. You do not have the four greatest words if bacon is not one of them and ribeye is another. That doesn't, but that's not why you called. The romance of baseball for me came flooding back this week when we booked Chicago-born author Gary Sarnoff. has a book coming out. It's about the 1924 Washington Senators. So let me connect the dots. For me, the happiest times, the best memories, they were when I think about baseball and it came back this week was the reading of a particular book I did as a kid and playing stratomatic baseball. Maybe you're like me. Maybe that works for you too. Maybe that the reading specifically, one book called The Glory of Their Times by Lawrence Ritter. I read that a thousand times. It was baseball before 1920. There were chapters about players I'd never seen, characters who were interesting. It was about the dead ball era. The whole idea of a dead ball era was new to me, too. Ritter got the idea, and it's wonderful. It's inspired. He got the idea in the 60s and interviewed players from the early 20th century, just bringing to life these guys I'd never heard. Stanley Kovaleski, Rube Marquardt, Chief Myers, poor Fred Snodgrass, Goose Goslin. We had a Goose Gleason here. So many more. I love that book. I read it and read it and went chapter this, chapter that. I loved unearthing a part of the game that I loved, but had no idea these players, these names existed. Same thing with Stratomatic. I came to it in the early 70s. I was playing with some friends in a modern league. And then I went back to get Stratomatic's notable teams. I can't, I can't call them great teams because the 1962 Mets were part of it. But as I look back now, and I think about it this week, because it's a dice game, you get one die that tells you whether to look at the hitter's card or the play or the pitcher's card, and the other two die tell you which number to look at, 2 through 12. This was the Pong version of Sabre. This was this, the Pong version of metrics as we know them today because Stratomatic was all about probabilities. What's the likelihood you're going to roll this die and this guy would do this in that situation and if this, then that. It was all probabilities. And because I thought I was playing a game, I didn't realize there was math involved and the decimal heads were getting to me. But 
the decimal heads who were now running baseball must have played Stratomatic. It had to. So one of the set of cards I got had, because of the 62 Mets, the losingest team of all time, and I, of course, this series included the 27 Yankees, murderers row, so I would play the Mets against the Yankees in hopes that Roger Craig could spin a masterpiece and beat Ruth and Gehrig and push him up Tony Lazari. One of the teams was the 1924 Washington Senators. I had no idea. I know it. They're Walter Johnson, a big train, 416 wins. Bucky Harris, the aforementioned Goose Goslin. And that was the Washington Senators' only World Series. In fact, it was Washington's only World Series winner, period, before the 2019 Nationals did it. But I love the history. Maybe you do too. Maybe you played Stratomatic and you learned the history. You went back in time. There were the. I had no idea who the Wiz Kids were in 1950. Robin Roberts, Jim Constani, Yellenser. The 54 Giants, them I knew, because that's my guy, Willie Mays, greatest baseball player of all time. Willie Mays. 57 or 58 Braves, I can't remember which team it was, but Aaron Matthews, Warren Spahn. It's just great names. They came to life. 61 Yankees, they had 240 home runs. Everybody on their card had like five home runs. Maris, Mantle, even Johnny Blanchard, Elston Howard. Everybody on their bench had home runs on their card. So this was this was my youth before it became feckless. And maybe you have similarly romantic touchstones. Maybe you, I, I don't know what it, for me, the glory of their times and stratomatic and playing the games, it came flooding back this week. And so did this because it was baseball. It is like everything sounds better. You know, like how everything's better with either butter or red wine. Everything sounds better when James Earl Jones says it. And now James Earl Jones is going to say it. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball mark the time this field this game 
is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. And it could be again. Oh. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. People will come, Ray. There you go. See, everything's better with James Earl Jones saying it. This is CNN. I mean, it's just, it's all better. I need him I, saying the bears are on the clock. The bears are on the clock. Darth Vader said so. All right, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to make room for a man who would be the poet laureate of romancing baseball, Bob Costas. And news of a show that Cub fans won't want to miss. I'm Steve Rosenblum. This is supposed to be Saturday suckage. I I apologize for veering off into Saturday schmaltz. But trust me, we'll fix that next hour after Costas. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I wanted it to be good, obviously. So I was nervous, but I tried to be as spontaneous as I could. I was telling myself like uh, things like, don't get too excited. Keep your voice under control. You don't want to get hysterical. Speak clearly. Make sure that the words you say are clearly understood. Keep your voice down. Again, I did not want to, to have my voice cracking and... And uh, that would have been disastrous. So there are a lot of things going through it. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. That was Pat Hughes talking about how he approached the final call of the 2016 World Series, Game 7. And it all comes, it all, you know what? It all, Game 7, 2016 World Series, Pat Hughes, now a Hall of Famer, it all runs through my next guest. The guest hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. Joining me is broadcast legend Bob Costas. Bob, it all runs through you. You are the Cubs. Pat Hughes, you are the nexus of all things Cubs right now. You know, I don't quite understand how that's true, Steve. You'll have to explain it to me. I also don't understand, or maybe I should just applaud you for having the self-confidence to label your own show Saturday Suckage. Bob, it, it, it happened naturally. It was organically. We were not trying to run away. In fact, we do it as a public service. I suck, so you don't have to. Well, you know, self, self-awareness self is an important step in life, so congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. So MLB, I'm, ex- I'm so excited to talk to you about this because I'm so excited by what MLB Network has put together. And it is required viewing for Cub fans. It is next Thursday at 7 p.m. Central. Please share with the class what will be going on at that time on MLB Network. Well, as you may remember, more than a decade ago, we had a series called Baseball's Greatest Games. It was the 20 greatest games of the preceding 50 years. Um, And we ranked them 20 through 1. The top game was game six of the 1975 World Series at that time. And so the series ran, obviously, for 20 installments, and then nothing was done to update it. And we had many conversations about it in the interim, saying, well, suppose we were to do five more. What five would there be? And everyone had different two through fives. But everyone agreed, talking about a small group, half dozen of us or so at the MLE Network, everyone agreed that the number one game was game seven of the 2016 World Series, not just because it was a seventh game and a dramatic seventh game with twists and turns, 
but because of everything that was at stake. 108 years for the Cubs and now for Cleveland still since 1948 and counting. When you take the backstory and all of that context and then the way the game played out, there was no doubt that that would be the game. So we got Joe Madden and Terry Francona to come into the studio a few weeks ago uh, at MLB Network. We sat in Studio 42. We played back large portions of the game for them. And then we stopped down and had them explain their strategy, what was going through their minds, what possibilities there were. I could have done this, but I decided to do that. Uh, And they were both tremendous. Uh, They related to each other very well. Uh, It was a freewheeling conversation, a lot of insight, but also a lot of heartfelt sentiment from both of them. Bob Costas is my guest, MLB Network. We're talking about the show, MLB Network's Greatest Games, and it's Game 7. Game 7 plus, actually. There is, you got mm-hmm. bonus baseball and a rain delay, and that was a big part of it. And mm-hmm. MLB Network has the two managers together. And the respect they showed each other when I recall a World Series is in matching strategy for strategy. Terry Francona is is simply brilliant, and Joe Madden reacted. He has a specific approach, and he reacted the way you kind of thought he would, but he was reacting throughout this series, and Andrew Miller specifically, to what Francona was doing. How much of yeah. that will fans learn? What kind of insight were you able to gather in the run-up to this Game 7? Did the manager share with you? The great majority of it is about Game 7 itself. But there are references to uh, what got us there, one through six, specifically as it applies to Araldis Chapman. Joe had to use him uh, for an extended stretch in game five at Wrigley because it's a one-run game and they're just trying to stay alive. Plus, you have a day off uh, between games five and six when they went back to Cleveland. And then something that Joe was questioned about at the time and would have been questioned about for the rest of his life had the seventh game not turned out the way it did He went back to Chapman again uh, for a number of pitches. I forget exactly the number, but the Cubs had been up 7-0 and then 9-2, and he used Chapman in that game. And then, after jumping out in front, uh, I'm telling your listeners what they already know, Kyle Hendricks is pitching a gem, but after giving up one hit or one guy on base, I forget what it was, uh, he goes to the bullpen. In comes John Lester, and with him, David Ross, and the whole inning unravels. Then eventually, as we get to the back end of the game, here comes Chapman again, but maybe he's a little bit arm-weary. Maybe the slider is flat. Maybe he's lost a couple miles an hour off the fastball. Rajay Davis takes him deep, and the whole season and more than a century of angst is hanging in the balance. Uh, That's a big part of the conversation. The mention of the use of Araldis Chapman, that so long the Cubs being run by Theo Epstein was about process, and the thinking process, the orderly process, that's how you were going about it. And when questioned mm-hmm. about, as you mentioned, the use of use of Chapman and finding yourself in that situation in a game seven on the road, and what he did the night before in game six and not having somebody warmed up and ready to the ninth inning after the Cubs added to their lead, and you you get Joe Madden saying we won the World Series. So it outcome bias as opposed to process bias. And I don't know if that came up. I don't want you to give away the goods here, but that was a particularly, that remains a very sore point with with people here. And I believe it, it 
it helps begin the souring of Joe Madden as regard from Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer is that this is what happens in the biggest moments. I have no idea if you dealt with that. Can you tell us? No, not specifically. Remember, it's a national broadcast. That's a bit granular from a Chicago standpoint, although it is interesting. So you're going a little bit broader uh, than what it would be if it was just from a Chicago vantage point. Um, you know, Joe, I, I've always liked Joe. He's a fascinating guy. He's a good guy. Uh, he won the manager of the year at least twice, maybe three times with Tampa, another time with the Cubs. And the outcome is really what matters. The outcome is that nobody who is alive at this moment, plus their grandparents, ever saw the Cubs win a World Series with anyone other than Joe Madden as their manager. <laughs> that ought to be enough. <laughs> Yeah, and there were a lot of radios brought to cemeteries that night. That's that's one of the stories that came out in, in Chicago. Yeah. Bob Costas is my guest. We're talking about the the Studio 42 show, MLB Network, will be bringing you 7 o'clock Thursday. It will be Bob Costas and the well-haired Tom Verducci, and in studio with them are Joe Madden and Terry Francona. When you're doing this show, mm-hmm. when you watch the show, when the show is edited, did you think you were there with two Hall of Fame managers? If yes, if no, why? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that they both have a very strong case. Uh, that specific wasn't running through my mind uh, so much as just bearing down on the particulars of the game. Uh, and I have not seen the edited version. I have a pretty good idea of what <laughs> would have stayed in and what would have hit the edit room floor because it wasn't as interesting as the thing that preceded it or the thing that followed it. But on Thursday night, I'll see it for the first time, just like you will. Without going into a large explanation, but what what struck you as surprising as a man who you, you covered it, you watched it, you you've in in the intervening years, like most baseball fans, you've replayed it one way or another or read about it. What mm-hmm. from Madden surprised you? What from Terry Francona surprised you? Well, first thing I'd like to say was the the respect between the two of them, Uh, not just professional respect. Hey, he's a good manager. I'm a good manager. But having shared this remarkable moment in baseball history, uh, I think that this little session, uh, and I was just lucky enough to be there. I didn't have much to do with it. But this little session, I think, deepened whatever the connection might have been between Francona and Madden. Um, Joe was not I wouldn't say he was defiant in any way that would be the worst that would not that would not be a fair way to characterize it but when I asked him about some of the decisions that were not second guessed they were first guessed in real time what he's pulling Hendricks or the night before what he's leaving Chapman in as long as he has what a safety squeeze with two strikes on Javi Baez he was he was content in his reasoning uh and no matter how it turned out uh, he didn't feel as if he'd made a decision that he regretted. Of the two, who made the best case for making their decisions? Uh, you know, I wouldn't give either one the edge. As I recall it, I don't think that Terry had as many circumstances within the game uh, where you did this, but you could have done that uh, as Joe did within the game. So maybe, maybe he had an easier road uh, to travel. Managers make a lot of decisions and one during that 17 minute rain delay, which proved crucial mm-hmm. of the, 
and I'm sure that was discussed. And it was Jason Hayward, not the manager, who had something to say, mm-hmm. and it probably was the more powerful way to do it. So how how did Joe address that? And I, I've never heard what the Indians did during that 17-minute rain delay. Can you shed any light on that as well? You know what? I wish you were there because I don't think either Tom nor I asked Terry <laughs> Uh, what they did during those 17 minutes. And that would have been a good question and an obvious question. It may have come up. I mean, it was a, we overtaped. It may have come up, but if it did, I don't remember the specifics. And now I wish I could rewind and pose that question directly to Terry because it's a very interesting question. Uh, and I don't remember reading it anywhere or seeing or hearing it anywhere. It was probably less eventful than, than what happened mm-hmm. with Hayward and the Cubs. But uh, maybe there was something there. You know, I... I we, as I said, we overtaped, and and I'm not quite sure. Uh, whatever he said, if he did, if he did address it, wasn't momentous. But I'm really not sure if that subject ever came up. And Joe's take on Jason Hayward, a a, a regarded as one of the greatest teammates ever, and he was regarded, he was respected everywhere he went, and yes. and he managed to overcome the the you know. Jay Hay kid and all the comparisons to Willie Mays when you're taking your first mm-hmm. at bat and and all of that and he grew stronger for it. He was in just talking to him. I wanted to go out and play for him. I play football for him, even if neither of us knew what to do. That's a when when he stands up and everybody said it made an impact. What was Joe's take on that? Joe's take was yeah, this was the players' time. Um, I wanted them to do whatever they felt they should do. Uh, I was happy not to be part of it. That was Jason took the helm there, and he he uh, expressed the the same kind of respect and regard that you're talking about for Jason Hayward. Even if Jason's career hasn't turned out statistically to be what some people uh, thought it would be, he has, after all, won five or six Gold Gloves. Uh, he's been on winning teams, including that championship team. Um, and while momentum in baseball is harder to identify than, let's say, in in basketball or football. Um, certainly there, it didn't hurt. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it, you can retrofit uh, your narrative to the ending. The Cubs did come out and they scored on the Zobrist hit and they took the lead and they won the game. So therefore the pep talk and the team meeting and the come, uh, you know, the, uh, the confronting all the circumstances the, for the, for uh, the rest of the time, the, uh, the answer will be that Hayward's little meeting was crucial. And who's to say it wasn't? No, we love, look, if you're a baseball romantic, and I called you the poet laureate of baseball romanticism, then you love that. It doesn't matter how great sure. an effect, and if, you can, and if you can't measure it by a metric, all the more great of, of a thing it is because you can't measure it. You just, it's there. It's a wonderful story to tell. And baseball is about telling stories. The best play-by-play guys tell stories. They always yes. did. It's a storyteller's game, no question about it. And remember, it wasn't just that the game was tied. It wasn't just that Game 7 was tied. It wasn't just the 108 years uh, since 1908. It was also, wait a minute, we had this right in our grasp. And all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. So now now we got to start over again. Uh, maybe just a reset. I don't know if anything he said was particularly profound. There's no transcript of it. But like you said, Steve, and as Madden and others have affirmed, Hayward was a presence. He was universally respected. So I'm sure that whatever he said 
uh, certainly had a positive effect. Let's put it that way. Here's how Cubs baseball runs through my guest Bob Costas. It has to because we came into this segment with Paul with Pat Hughes talking about the way he was preparing himself to make that call, the call that Pat, Pat noted years earlier. No one has ever heard someone on radio mm-hmm. say the Cubs have won the World Series. Mm-hmm. He knew about posterity. And Pat is now a Hall of Famer. And you were instrumental in making that happen. Can you share with the audience what that involved and why you felt so strongly about Pat Hughes? Well, the electorate for the Frick Award is the surviving members of the Broadcasters Wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame who have received the award. And then there are a couple of historians were involved um, that have followed the history of baseball broadcasting. So it's a group of 15, 16 people. uh, And we create a ballot that has 10 names on it. And then there's a Zoom call and there's a conversation. Uh, We don't know in the end who any of us voted for, although we can guess based on some of the um, sentiments expressed during the Zoom call. Uh, I really, this is an aside, Pat Hughes deserved it, so there's nothing wrong with that. But the way they do this is something that I'm never, I haven't been comfortable with for a long time because they throw everybody now into one category. And I've actually written to the Hall of Fame and to their board of directors saying, how am I supposed to compare a color man or an analyst to a play-by-play man? How am I supposed to compare a radio play-by-play man to a television play-by-play man? How can you expect me to give Dizzy Dean, who's very important in the early television history of baseball broadcasting, the game of the week with Pee Wee Reese in the 1950s? I was too young to appreciate it, but I've heard a lot about it. But nobody's going to vote for Dizzy Dean, A, because he's long gone, and B, because he's already in as a player. So I wish that they would create separate categories so that we could compare apples to apples, because now it's very often not apples to oranges. It's apples to cantaloupes. I said, you know, you're, it's like you're asking me to vote for shortstops and catchers together in Golden Glove balloting. So having said all that, that's my complaint. A lot of worthy people don't get a fair shake because of this. But that has nothing to do with Pat Hughes. Pat Hughes was very good in Milwaukee. He's been very good in Chicago for a long time. He is an exemplary citizen of the game. And I imagine that the 2016 season and the call at the end, which becomes iconic, I imagine that helped his candidacy. And he calls a game that I, I grew up loving. I mean, I was lucky enough. I couldn't appreciate it at the time. Appreciate it later. I grew up in L.A. I grew up listening to Vinny. I was getting the best there ever was. I thought that's the way everybody got it. And Pat Hughes grew up in an era of, of radio play-by-play, underscoring your, making your point that the difference between Vin Scully and Hawk Harrelson, and they're in the same place. And they do they did different things. And Pat Hughes calls that kind of game where you you pull up a I would have pulled out a transistor radio and and listened to him because that's what I did. Yeah. Um it's an old school radio broadcast, and I say that with appreciation and respect. Um he is mindful of what you have to do on radio. A lot of very good radio announcers in every sport. Um, because we've all grown up with television, and you have a monitor in the booth now, even if you're calling it on radio, 
a lot of times some of the nuts and bolts, which should still be the nuts and bolts of a radio broadcast, are forgotten. What does a guy's stance look like? Does the pitcher have a peculiar windup? And give the score as frequently as possible. Remember that you're addressing someone who just got in the car or someone who doesn't have access at this particular moment to television. You've got to paint the whole picture, as Vin Scully put it, and as is so often the case, he put it better than anyone else. On radio, they give you a blank canvas, a bucket of paint, and a brush, and you've got to fill it all in. The broad strokes, little accents, the whole thing. And on television, you put a caption for the most part beneath a picture that's already there. That doesn't mean you can't tell stories, because even with the pitch clock, there's enough time in baseball to tell stories. But you don't have to be as descriptive on television as you do on radio. And Pat Hughes, H-U-E-S, Mr. Hughes, Hughes, to, to the old school approach on radio. Television does not exist. I'm doing this for someone who doesn't have a TV or for a blind man. That's who I'm doing it for. Speaking of Pat Hughes, the Hughes of the Cubs colors and his Coogie sweater will be a prime giveaway this year, the first 10,000 at some cold game they have in April. Given your effect on the voting and getting him in there, have you asked for one of those sweaters? Are you entitled to one? Do you get that swag? You know, I imagine if I asked, uh, they would favor me with one. But uh, no, I have not asked. It's uh, it's. A miss, there's a space for it in the closet, should it ever turn up. Wow, it, it is a must-have for all male-style fashionistas this spring. So I have a question because I brought it up last segment. I, uh, I'll be talking to an author later who wrote about the 1924 Senators. And uh-huh. it sparked my memory. The memories that came flooding back were two things. One is a book I read and reread and reread and reread, and it was The Glory of Their Times by Lawrence Ritter. Yeah. And the other part was, at the same time, before my youth became feckless, it was Stratomatic Baseball. And then well, going back to the notable teams, playing the 62 Mets against the 27 Yankees, and mm-hmm. and I this was the really early, this was the Pong version of Sabre. It was all probabilities on the Stratomatic yes, card. And that's right. And one of the teams was the 24 Senators. I had no idea. Oh, Walter Johnson. Hey, who's that? Well, he wins a lot. And there's Goose Goslin. Good name. Like that. We want yep. to carry that with us. So it was Stratomatic Baseball and the glory of their times that I remember. When you look back, what are the central parts of, you know, pitchers and catchers report, that's fine. But when yep. we're talking baseball, where where's the heart of your youthful romance? You know, Stratomatic was part of it, and I think I gained a good deal of my sense of baseball history from Stratomatic because they had the old-time team. They had the current teams, and when I was playing it, it was in the 1960s, but they had the 27 Yankees. They had the 31 Philadelphia A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had the, the best of the Dodgers in the 50s. They had the Yankees in 61 with Maris and Mantle. They had the Gas House Gang Cardinals from 1934, and you learned which way they hit. You learned who was a switch hitter. Uh, They had defensive ratings, so you learned who was a gold glover and who was just a pedestrian kind of fielder. Um, And it also deepened my interest in it. I read The Glory of Their Times, too, just like you did. Uh, I read Baseball Digest um, when it was just the same size as the Reader's Digest then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were always historical stories in there as well as, as current stories. And I listened, as you did, 
to the broadcasters, and the best of them gave the game a melody. And in almost every case, the best of them had been radio broadcasters, even if they occasionally switched over to television. Uh, they had the sound that you associate with radio more than television. Uh, and it just it deepened my it began and then deepened my appreciation and affection for the game. And if I can backtrack here just a second, Steve, let me give you an example of somebody. When we're talking about the broadcasters wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame who gets no traction whatsoever. But older listeners to this program will remember, I guess, in the late 50s and into the mid 60s, Jack Quinlan called Cubs games. Jack Quinlan, no exaggeration is one of the 10 best baseball broadcasters I have ever heard. I never heard him in real time. I didn't even know who he was until uh, a friend of mine suggested that I listen to some tapes and familiarize myself with this guy. The guy was fantastic. He had everything. He had the voice. He had the pace and rhythm. He had a sense of humor. He related well to the other person in the booth, and he died. In 1965 or 66, automobile accident in Arizona during spring training, I don't even think he was 40 years old. The way the current voting is set up, Jack Quinlan doesn't have much of a chance, and I just think that's wrong. I think when, when people vote for players, for example, especially veterans committees, they have a frame of reference. You can go back. You can look at baseball reference. You can do some comparison. You can cast an educated vote. I try very hard to be educated about uh, the possible Frick contenders. And I just think that as prestigious as this award is, which is not to say that the vast majority of honorees haven't richly deserved it, they have. But there are some others who are under the radar, and the way the current system is set up, they're going to stay under the radar. And as much as I care about the history of baseball broadcasting, that bothers me. Bob, I want to take before I let you go, I'm thrilled by having the chance to talk to you about baseball and about this and looking forward to the show on MLB Network, 7 p.m. Central mm -hmm. on MLB Network. I want to go back to where we started this. A texter wants me to say now that you and the well-haired Tom Verducci did the 20 greatest games and all settled on number one, but now mm -hmm. you're doing the 2016 Game 7 with the managers and studio. Which, mm -hmm. 1975, 2016, which is the greatest game in baseball history? Wow. Uh, I could get a lot of people in Cincinnati and especially in Boston mad at me. Uh, I don't usually like to dodge questions. I couldn't put one ahead of the other. And I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this. The setting helps the Red Sox-Reds game because it was Fenway Park. Now, had the American League not won the All-Star Game, that was the last year that home field advantage in the World Series was determined by the All-Star Game in 2016, then games one, two, and six and seven would have been at Wrigley Field rather than in Cleveland. And if, if game seven, and assuming it played out in just as dramatic a fashion, had been at Wrigley Field, and if someone had the presence of mind to say, we don't need the lights, we'll play it in the daytime, <laughs> then I put that as number one. Oh, face it, you're just a, a Bernie Carbo stan, aren't you? <laughs> we had Bernie Carbo on the show when we reviewed it. We had Johnny Bench, uh -huh. we had Fred Lynn, Bernie Carbo was on the show. That was the beauty of the show. You had the participants reliving it uh, along with the audience.
And that's what makes Thursday so special. We have the managers with all the decisions and all the thoughts reliving it. MLB Network, 7 p.m. Thursday, Bob Costas, Tom Verducci, Joe Madden, and Terry Francona talking about the greatest game in Cubs history. Bob, thanks again so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Bob Costas, MLB Network. I mean, just if you're a Cub fan, you got to see that. Because you know the ending. And you may not believe you know the ending if you're a Cub fan. You may not believe. You may... You may be chewing your fingernails. You may need a gummy. To, you may need some or joint. You need something. But you know it's going to have a happy ending like your parents never got, your grandparents never got, their parents. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, um, Ricky O'Donnell will be here to talk bulls. Sorry to ruin all this. It was a wonderful feeling, right? It was a wonderful baseball romance, 2016 World Series, Cubs, and now we're going to talk about the inept and inert bulls. Sorry. It is Saturday suckage. We need to get back to default setting. And did, hey, Robbie, did Costas say enough when he talked about the confidence to have Saturday suckage as the name of the show? Can we put him in the, the roll call? You'll hear in about a second. Excellent. Ah, excellent. You're right. You don't suck. What are you doing on the show? You won't be here long. Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I also don't understand, or maybe I should just applaud you for having the self-confidence to label your own show Saturday Suckage.